This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. You're listening to episode 84. And the bumper sticker read, Proud to be the parent of a Harvard graduate. Of the In Between podcast, where you'll discover ideas to build a strong, connected, and joy-filled marriage and family. My name is Daniel M. And I'm Christina M. Whoa, that was a long interruption right there. <laughs> I just kept going and going and going. I think that was my parents' dream of me. Well, you even had uh, a little bank account, didn't you, uh, for Harvard? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Mom. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> UBC and then... Fuller's the same University as Har- of Ottawa. And Fuller's then, yes. basically the Harvard of, like, yes, Christian Yes, I guess, for university. theological schools. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. yeah, okay. There you go. You want me you to just get a bumper say, sticker for you? You just can't say Harvard. Like, Fuller. <laughs> it doesn't... Yeah, it doesn't that works. Kind Fuller. of. I'm a graduate of Fuller. Fuller of what? Brunch. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the reason we're talking about Harvard and parenting and stickers and all of that is because today we're going to be talking about the lies we believe about parenting. Dun, dun, dun. Now, this is a continuation from our episode last week where we talked about the lies we believe about marriage and the week before where we talked about the lies we believe about ourselves. So if you haven't tuned into either of those episodes, you can definitely still tune into this one. But if you want to refer it later, the episode is inbetween.org slash episode 82 and 83. Yeah, so I guess this month is just a month full of lies, right? <laughs> well, half we're, yes, and we're busting through them with the truth. Yeah, well, that's the thing. The thing about the half-truths and the thing about even the lies that we've been wrestling down and talking about the last few episodes and even today is that they're not necessarily those outright unjust, harmful, evil lies that we, or even the ways that we would typically think about a lie in that manner. These lies that we've been talking about are half-truths, half-truths that are kind of underneath the surface and and, and it's kind of subtle with an intent to deceive is what these lies that we've been talking about are all about. And sometimes we don't realize that they're lies until we've been told the truth and then looking back and being like, oh, whoops, if I continued down this path, it would cause destruction. Yeah, so our hope in these past few episodes, and and really all this is coming out of my book, You Are What You Do, and Six Other Lies About Work, Life, and Love, all of these lies that we've been breaking down, the the hope is that you can see the truth on the other side and, and begin seeing how... Uh, and and ways that maybe you have already already been believing this lie and and ways that we've been believing this lie is evident to us obviously and and that's partially why we're wanting to talk about this because we want to bring this these lies to the light and talk about them from the perspective of what the truth is so in today's episode we're going to walk through two of the common lies that we believe about parenting reframed as half truths yeah, and if you're listening to this before February 4th, this is the last week for the pre-sale offer for my book. So if you buy my book before February 4th, you'll actually get 50% off the price and the ebook right away. So that's 50% off, not the ebook, 
50% off the print book and then you also get an ebook immediately. Ooh, two for one. Right after. Yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a pretty neat incentive. So all you gotta do is go to danielm.com slash UR. That's danielm.com slash UR, or just go to the show notes page for this episode, in between.org slash episode eighty-four, and you'll find links for all that. But that's gonna be something you want to do before February fourth. And then because after that it's just gonna be regular price and you're not gonna get a two for one. So Little, so take advantage yeah, now. a little bit of an incentive before oh, right? completely yeah <laughs> who doesn't like free right yeah okay so let's get started with the first lie that we believe about parenting from your book the lie that you are who you raise what's the half truth behind this lie because it sounds true it's this you are responsible for your children that's the half truth isn't that the full truth? Like, who else is responsible for my children? You're right. You're right. Sometimes I'm like, wish I wasn't. Like, especially when they're not acting. And I'm like, whose children are these? Just you're, going to walk away. You're right. You're right. On the surface, believing the lie that you are who you raise doesn't seem too bad since involvement in your child's life is better than neglect, right? Yes, the uh, government would say so as well. <laughs> but underneath the surface, and this is where the half-truth and the lie begins to seep in, this lie actually begins to fraud us into believing that our children's success is our success and that their failure is our failure. Oh, okay, okay. Well, in that case, I definitely have believed in this lie and have lived it out as well. So I don't know about y'all, but I definitely gush with pride when our kids do something great. You know, they got into some club that no one else could, or they were kind and they shared with their friends, especially in front of, you know, maybe parents that I'm trying to impress or get to know. And then there's definitely times I have felt embarrassed when they haven't been acting like perfect children and they are bouncing off the walls and people are like, what is wrong with them? Yeah, I mean, just think about the last time you were at a grocery store or you were shopping and your kids are beginning to act out and you're in that public place. Why do we get so embarrassed? Because everybody's watching us. Yeah, well, it's because our children's behavior is reflecting on us. Well, that's what we believe, yeah, right? it is. Yeah. yeah, so if they're angelic, then it's because we've parented them so well. Precisely. And if they are, you know, not, it must be because we have no, we've done something wrong. Yeah, and if you follow this thinking all the way down the line, every time your children succeed, you're going to think that's your success, that mm, it's you're the one. On the back. Exactly, and if they fail, you're going to completely attribute it to them. Yeah. <laughs> Failures. Yeah, no, not really. <laughs> I don't raise because, failures. <laughs> not really, because underneath the surface and, and behind the curtain, you're actually going to think it's your fault that they failed. You're going to take blame oh, to I'm that a as failure. well. Yeah. <laughs> and we see this most clearly when you look at the life of Tiger Woods. Now, I'm going to read to you an excerpt from this chapter in my book where I address this lie. It's on page 133 if you, if you want to follow along. Now, this isn't the audible version. There is an audible version that's going to be available February 4th, or maybe it's going to be released a little bit afterwards. Uh, a few months ago, I recorded it in the studio down in Nashville. So this is not that version, uh, because I know that there are many of you who like listening to books. I mean, that's me. If I can listen to a book, I'd far, I mean, it's, I find that it goes a lot faster than sitting down and reading. So there's definitely that available if you are interested. But here we go. Let me give you an example of what happens if we follow this thread all the way down the line. Here it is from page 133. To discover why we do what we do, especially as it relates to parenting, 
Let's take an inside look into the life of Tiger Woods, not Tiger the cheater, the philanthropist, or the golfer, but Tiger the son, Eldrick Taunt Tiger Woods. When Tiger turned pro in 1996, his father, Earl Woods, said something peculiar. Mind you, the spotlight was supposed to be on Tiger, Tiger's hard work, Tiger's accomplishments, and the fact that Tiger was going to become a multimillionaire overnight through endorsement deals with Nike and Titleist. However, as you'll shortly see... The reason Earl's words sounded so peculiar was because underneath the surface, they were actually more about him than they were about Tiger. In fact, when you look at the way Earl and Kaltita raised Tiger, things always seemed to be more about Earl than they were ever about Tiger. Tiger was simply the platform that Earl had built to stand on. Now, here's the peculiar thing that Earl said when Tiger turned pro. Tiger will do more than any other man to change the course of humanity. He will have a greater impact on humanity than Nelson Mandela, Gandhi, or Buddha because he has a larger form than any of them, because he's playing a sport that's international, because he's qualified through his ethnicity to accomplish miracles. He is the bridge between the East and the West. There is no limit because he has the guidance. I don't know yet exactly what form this will take, but he is the chosen one. He'll have the power to impact nations, not people, nations. The world is just getting a taste of his power. The chosen one? Power? Nations? Sure, I get that Tiger is one of the most accomplished athletes in history. He even topped ESPN's list of the 20 most dominant athletes of the past 20 years. And yes, he has an aura to him that many have coined the Tiger effect, where he consistently boosts TV ratings every time he plays. But no matter how proud you might be for your child, it takes some level of pompous bravado to say the things that Earl said. To call your child the chosen one? Earl had to be overcompensating for something. The elder Woods was determined to raise the world's greatest golfer. It was going to happen no matter what. In fact, Earl was so convinced in his own ability to do so that he even told others that God had personally selected him to nurture and raise Tiger. Now, it's hard to imagine Earl as a narcissistic, deadbeat, and absentee father who, as a serial adulterer and sex addict, cheated on both of his wives. No creepy old guy is probably not the first thing that comes to mind when you think about Earl Woods. Rather, you probably remember him from that iconic embrace after Tiger sank his final putt to win the 1997 Masters. In the most watched golf broadcast in U.S. history, an estimated 43 million viewers witnessed Earl as the perfect father who gave up everything so that his son could have it all. But Tiger, Coltita, and everyone else that Earl had used to advance his own agenda knew a different side to Earl, his real self. Earl was a different man behind the scenes. Something else beneath the surface drove his behavior and the way he parented at an unconscious level. It certainly wasn't faith, even though he acted as if an angel had visited him and prophesied that his son was going to be the next savior of the world. Rather, it was his childhood. In particular, it was the fact that he never became the professional athlete that his father had always wanted him to become. Growing up, Earl loved spending time with his elderly father at the minor league baseball stadium in town. Though his father was a stonemason by trade, the baseball stadium was where his father came alive. 
His father knew everything about every baseball player that came through the town. Baseball was his father's obsession, and nothing would have made his father prouder than for Earl to play in the major leagues. Earl knew this, and as an 11-year-old dealing with the death of his father, he made his father's dream his own by resolving that he would make it to the pros. He was going to fulfill his father's last wish, and nothing was going to get in his way. Unfortunately, being one of the best players on a very bad team wasn't enough to cut it, so his baseball career never advanced beyond college. For the rest of his life, the shame of failing to fulfill his father's dream would haunt him until an army buddy introduced him to golf. If golf were a drug, he would have qualified as an addict. He liked it so much that it consumed him leading him to spend far more time with his clubs than with his wife. I realized what I'd been missing my whole life, Earl said. I decided if I had another son, I'd introduce him to golf early on. And this he certainly did. Except introduce probably isn't the right word to describe the way Earl approached golf with his son. After Tiger was born, Earl resolved to avoid repeating the mistakes that he had made with his children from his first marriage. He was going to get things right this time and be actively involved in his child's life. Although I'm not quite sure how hitting golf balls into a net in your garage while your six-month-old just just watches you from his high chair qualifies as being actively involved. Nor does it seem normal for a child to have a putter as his security blanket. Rather than introduce, Earl was grooming his son to be the athlete Earl never was. What else would explain a two-year-old spending two hours a day at the driving range with his dad, or a father asking the local CBS affiliate in Los Angeles to do a story on his son, or Tiger as a two-year-old appearing on the most popular daytime television talk show in all of America? Earl had an agenda for Tiger, and nothing was going to get in his way. While Earl, likely unconsciously, was raising Tiger to be a professional athlete to deal with the shame he had from failing to fulfill his father's dream, Kaltita had her own reasons for going along with it all. As a child in Thailand, she was neglected by her parents. She had to fend for herself, so becoming the kind of mother she never had drove everything for her. That meant she would never rely on childcare or work outside the home, no matter how stressed the family finances became. She would personally teach her son to read and write and multiply and divide. For her, it was simple. She was dedicating her life to her only child. Her boy would know he was loved. Earl and Kaltita parented the way they did because underneath the surface, they believed the lie that you are who you raise. Parenting was their opportunity to deal with their own junk, their unresolved hurt, shame, and regret from childhood. For Earl... Tiger turning pro would make up for the fact that he never became a professional athlete. And for Coltita, being with Tiger wherever he went would make up for the fact that she was neglected as a child. If Tiger won, Earl won. And if Tiger felt loved, Coltita felt loved. Whether they realized it or not, they weren't ultimately parenting with Tiger in mind. They were parenting with themselves in mind. The wait is over. Find out what happens in the thrilling conclusion of the 12th Dead Sea Squirrels book, Babylon Breakout. Hi, I'm Mike Naraki, co-creator of VeggieTales, voice of Larry the Cucumber, and author of The Dead Sea Squirrels. Get ready for more daring rescues and hilarious jokes as Merle and Pearl and their animal friends embark on a ridiculous mission to bust the kidnapped Gomez family out of Babylon. 
a Bible-themed amusement park with talking animals. Young readers will love the nutty misadventures of 10-year-old Michael and his friends and will learn all about biblical life lessons such as forgiveness and friendship. Read all 12 Dead Sea Squirrels books. Available wherever books are sold. Oh, wow. How sad that Tiger was really stuck in the middle of his parents' mess, right? Completely. His entire life was dictated by the junk that his mom and dad were dealing with, had been dealing with, Mm -hmm. and were dealing with, and throughout his entire life were continuing to deal with. Exactly. It's such a shame. It really is. And that's why this lie as parents is such an important one to reflect on, to consider, and to take a moment and really dig down and, and, and ask ourselves, hey, how much... How much do I actually believe in this? It's so dangerous because like we saw or like we heard in in, in this chapter so far, a little bit of the the excerpt of this, this lies so dangerous because it deceives us into believing that parenting ought to be our all and everything. And it gives some nobility to it too, doesn't it? Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, Especially if your children succeed, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's this thing where the half-truth, remember that half-truth that you are responsible for your children? This is what this lie does. It says, well, you're responsible for your children. That's a good thing. So your children should be the center of your universe. So this is the narrative that this half-truth begins to make us believe. Okay, or, or, or actually, here's a better way to put it. Here's the way that this half-truth whispers to us Mm, it says this you're not sacrificing for your kids you're not giving them a chance at a better life wow you suck (laughs) yes or how about this one have you ever heard someone talk about their kid in this way oh she's smart like her mother and oh she's so hard working like me but really really all that aside what we love most about our daughter is the fact that she never gives up what do you think would happen if their daughter decided to take a break from competitive sports. Uh, their lies <laughs> would explode and blow up as they know it. Well, and if, if she maybe even started slacking off at school, would the parents, do you think the parents that would say something like this, do you think that they would begin pressuring her to try harder for her sake or for their reputation? Mm, we obviously know that one. <laughs> Is it that she never gives up or that her parents won't let her give up? Mm-hmm. And going back to your opener, Christina, think about the last time you drove behind someone who had one of those My Child is an Honor Student bumper stickers. Why do you think parents stick these ugly things on their car? <laughs> right? I mean, who, who do you think that sticker benefits the most? The, the child? person who's going to honk them? <laughs> <laughs> the child who doesn't drive? Or the one, you know, the parent who's now signaling their own virtue as a model caregiver. Right. Very true. Do you see how deceptive this lie is? Mm -hmm. And really how subtle it can be? And maybe even the extent that it's probably already unconsciously governing your life in the way that you and I parent. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I mean, on the surface, this lie doesn't seem too bad because involvement in our children's lives are better than neglect. But underneath the surface... Here's the thing about this lie. It tricks us into believing that our self-worth is tied directly to their performance. And Ouch. for stay-at-home parents, mm-hmm. it's even stronger. This is why pageant moms and overbearing soccer dads are a thing. 
And we've all experienced those, haven't we? <laughs> and if not, they have a TV show about it. Yes, multiple ones. So this lie that you are who you raise, here's what it does. It frauds you into believing that your children's success is your success and that their failure is your failure. This is why Earl and Coltita sacrificed everything for Tiger to win, even their marriage. They gave that up too. Tiger was their everything. And here's the eerie thing. For them, they were Tiger, and Tiger was them. Do you ever wonder what Tiger Woods would have become if his parents were, like, normal? (laughs) Or didn't believe in that lie? Or they didn't find their identity in their son? I mean, I can only imagine the pressure he felt to succeed and how that drove him to make some really poor choices later on in his life. He didn't know who he was. Yeah, and you see that, right? You see that with the scandal that happened and even later on as as he was trying to become a Marine, training to be a Marine, and just all these different phases where it was only later on in life where he was discovering himself Mm -hmm. because up until then, his entire life was defined and led by his parents. So that's the flip side, right? We're talking about this as parents. And what I just read was from the perspective of the father right. and the mother. But maybe you were raised by parents like that. And that actually, it's, it's, it's a whole other thing, right? Being mm-hmm. raised by parents who believe in this. And if you're placing yourself in, your, in the child's shoe or, or in those shoes, there's equally as dangerous implications and unintended consequences with that too. And detrimental aspects to your character even too. Yeah, that's right. At the root of this lie is pride, right? It's the belief that you're the one who ultimately is in control over the destiny of your children. It's the belief that you can shape and mold your children into your image and likeness and that you have not only created them, but can sustain them. But the longer you parent, the more you realize you are not in control. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yes. And the more you try to control your kids, the more they're actually going to act out. Right. Nope. Yep. Yep. And push away. Yes. Which gives you some insight into how intense Earl and Coltita must have been for Tiger to have went along with all that. Right. Well, do you know in the end, you know, like how was his relationship with his mom and dad? Do you know? His relationship with his mom, from all accounts, obviously, I don't know him personally, but from all accounts, was healthier and stronger than with his dad. I mean, it was just, yeah, the relationship with his dad was very conflicted. And in the end, I mean, his dad was buried and is buried right now in an unmarked grave somewhere in Kansas. I mean, he wasn't even given a proper burial. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, because of all, yeah, it's a mess. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So don't believe the lie that you are who you raise. And don't parent (laughs) your children like that. No, no. All right. Well, let's move on to the second lie that we believe about parenting from your book. And that is the lie that you are what you know. So what's the half truth behind this? Because I feel like I know things. (laughs) Yeah. Well, here's the half truth. What you know can either open or close doors. Yeah, you're right. I mean, if you don't know something and you're trying to get into university, you don't know a lot of things and they're going to be like, sorry, you don't know anything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
knowledge is power, right? Knowledge is power. And that's the thing about all these half-truths. They sound true, but like we just saw with the lie of you are who you raise, if you follow it along and you dig a little bit more underneath the surface, you see the lie underneath of this, right? So there's this Thomas Jefferson quote. He said, knowledge is power and ignorance is weakness. And a lot of our society, education, everything, we believe this too, right? Mm -hmm. How important knowledge is and how important schooling is. What's interesting, though, is that more than a century later, Hitler and Pol Pot, both authoritarian dictators, they both said the same thing. Oh, (laughs) poor Jefferson was like, I misquoted me. Yes, they applied it differently, right? Now, while Jefferson had as much in common with Hitler and Pol Pot as oil has with water, it's fascinating to see how their differing beliefs on the power of knowledge played out in their leadership, right? So for Jefferson, he created local state universities in Virginia. For Hitler, he burned tens of millions of un-German books. And for Pol Pot, he, it was a genocide, right? It was the genocide of his own people where he killed the intellectuals, the professors, everyone who had the knowledge, the college-educated citizens, All three of them understood the power that knowledge has to shape and form our identities. Each of them, though, just wanted to do something different with it. Jefferson wanted to freely promote this knowledge, while Hitler and Pol Pot wanted to control and restrict it. And generations later, we see the difference, right? Hitler's actions obviously are inexcusable, but he didn't kill all the educated. He was actually more concerned about the ideal Aryan race than about education levels. But the sad thing about Cambodia and what Pol Pot did was that its effects are actually still felt today because he killed an entire generation of the educated. Yeah. Oh, how devastating. Actually, my brother and sister-in-law were missionaries in Cambodia almost a decade ago. And I remember their countless stories about the eeriness of an entire generation missing from the population. You'd have like young and old, and then there'd be nothing in between. Yeah. So those who would have raised the younger generation and inspired them, whether to, you know, follow education or to become uh, something grander than yourself, to study harder, to dream more, that was completely wiped out. Yeah. And for us, growing up as children of immigrants, knowledge was, I mean, wasn't knowledge presented as the ticket to success? Oh, completely. It was all about studying and having good grades and being the best of your class and not shaming and disappointing your parents by failing. Yeah. And on the surface, that doesn't seem wrong. That actually seems like a lofty and idealistic and and a good thing to create an environment where as parents, We are helping our kids grow in their knowledge, succeed. No parent is saying you cannot learn. You're going to work instead of going to school. I mean, we're not saying that here, right? So this, this, this is actually a good thing to, to create environments where kids are learning and growing, but let's play this out. And this is where the lie begins to develop and we begin to see it. If the pursuit of knowledge drives everything in our parenting, let's say our kids are so bright that they get accepted into an Ivy League school. Right. And not only do they get accepted, but they get a full ride there. And after graduating, they then get a full ride to Oxford as a Rhodes Scholar. And then to continue learning, they they might then after having graduated and not with any student debt, they'll spend money curating a collection of books that even librarians would be in awe of. And then what? With knowledge being the path, and I mean, just think about this, right? If knowledge was the place where they were most affirmed, most accepted, and you created that environment where that was where they got most praised, what happens when they're out of education? 
well, they're going to go back because that's where they felt most accepted. And then when they start working, (laughs) here's the sad thing, right? Uh, What happens when they start working and then they realize that their boss who likely doesn't know half of what they know is making double their salary. Then what? Uh, then they hustle and get a side gig. <laughs> I'm just joking. That's right. That's right. Well, try to. Otherwise, they're just maybe the side gig is going back to school, right? Or becoming a librarian. <laughs> so here's the thing about this lie. No matter how accomplished anyone becomes as a result of their knowledge, no matter how accomplished our children become as a result of any sort of knowledge, they're going to eventually arrive at the same place that Solomon did in the Bible. He realized that it never ends and it's never enough. Pursuing knowledge as an end in and of itself or as a means to the American dream is pretty much like chasing the wind. You're never going to catch it. You're never going to get it. So I guess in the end, like the previous lie, it's the pursuit of knowledge is really another way of saying that you are in control. Completely. That's the core lie from the gig economy. And if you listen a couple episodes ago, all these seven lies have risen to the surface because of this shift in culture called the gig economy. And the, the core thing that the gig economy promises is a life of control, a life of freedom, and a life of flexibility. So this is your parenting. You're trying to impose control upon your kids, not at the forefront, I mean, because that sounds really weird, mm-hmm. but underneath the surface, that's why these lies are so subtle and deceptive. Now, with both of these lies that we believe about parenting, the good news is that there is truth on the other side. And that's what I reveal and unpack in my book. So like I mentioned Earlier in the episode, my book releases February 4th. And if you're listening to this episode before that, make sure you go to daniellim.com slash UR to take advantage and to be able to redeem the pre-order bonus that there is. And the pre-order bonus is you get the print book, uh, the paperback version for 50% off, and you actually get the ebook immediately upon purchase as well. So the only way to redeem that offer is daniellim.com slash UR. But if you're listening to this after February 4th, you can still go to daniellim.com slash UR, but essentially you can get the book wherever books are sold. So next week, Daniel, what are we going to be talking about? Well, we're going to continue the theme of this episode by actually digging a little bit deeper into the lie that you are who you raise. And if you enjoyed that excerpt that I read, don't worry. Actually, if you didn't enjoy it because it was all about golf, don't worry. (laughs) That's pretty much the extent of the golf illustrations in the book. But next week, I'm actually going to be reading two more excerpts from this chapter because we're a podcast about marriage and parenting. I think this is an area that we would all benefit in growing in and sharpening our awareness and really to understand what the truth is on the other side. So make sure to subscribe to our podcast. And if this episode really resonated with you or someone came to mind that you think maybe your spouse or maybe a friend that you've been having conversations about the struggles of parenting, just hit the share button on your favorite podcasting app or text them the link in between.org slash episode 84. All right, and we'll catch you next week. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.